Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're continuing the Gospel of Mark and we come to chapter 14 and there's so much here I cannot do the whole chapter. You might not like me anymore. And uh, But when I was thinking about this chapter, I was thinking about something Tim Keller said. He said, all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. You're like, what the heck is that? It's like um, you're strong, and then you befriend somebody who's got some weaknesses, which is most everybody in the world, right? There's probably only two people here who don't know. And when, when you come alongside them in helping them, like you, you lose a little something, right? And they gain a little something. I remember in, I became a Christian in high school, and in gym class, there was a kid that was notoriously picked on. And I thought, we had to pick gym partners. And I'm like, hey, will you be my partner? Now, first he thought I was going to like pick on him, right? Because like the senior and the sophomore or whatever, you know, he was uncoordinated and everything. But, but I did. And other people were like, oh, why would you pick him? You know, like, like you lose a little bit of your coolness when you pick the nerd, right? You know what I'm saying? But I thought nobody's going to pick on this kid when he's my gym partner. And they didn't. Never mind. I won't go into any stories. But, um, but do you see that? Like, like substitutionary, it means that you lose something when you truly love somebody. You know, any parents know this, right? You love your kids and you care. Like, like, like oh, you know, Sammy got hit and kicked in the face with a basketball. And I know it wasn't in Hannah's plans to take him to the doctor, eye doctor for a scratch doc. But when you love them, you do that, right? You lose and they, you sink and they float. And of course, this is how Jesus loved us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so I want to look at three parts of this chapter and look at love, this substitutionary sacrifice, and a few other things. So the chapter begins this way. Let's see if my... Oh, good. Back up. Chapter begins this way. Now... It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Do you love that? These are the religious guys, right? Do you ever think of that? Oh, how shall we murder somebody? Um, For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people, because Jesus was popular. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. We don't really know much about this, but there were burial spices that had a lot of odor to them, and they were really expensive. And this is the thought that she was, because, you know, you probably haven't, you know, most people who have died, you haven't been around, but if, if you die and you hang out for a while, you begin to smell, right? So these were to mask the, that smell. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Okay, this is like a year's wage. I don't know what you make, but I'm, I think it's probably like thirty to $50,000. Can you imagine? And it, 
and it just gets dumped over Jesus' head. But then also imagine when Jesus goes through all this suffering, he had a smell. Do you ever think when they're, when they're punching him, when they're whipping him, that he has this smell of this beautiful perfume. So, so they're mad. Why are they mad? Because they're like, it could have gone to the poor. We could have sold this money and given to a lot of, a lot of people. Why is she doing this? And, and you think about this gift, which is like indiscriminate. It's a painful gift. Do you ever give more than you felt like you could give? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever given super generously, extravagantly? I remember one time going out to eat with the family, and my dad was taking us all out to eat. And then he's like, oh, I forgot my wallet. And uh, I go, I got this for you, Dad. I'm like, well, swallowing hard, you know, because it was a large bill, right? <laughs> you know, but it's kind of funny how the Lord just, you look back and you're like, everything just kind of worked out, right? It wasn't, you know. Um, and, and, and so painfully, worshipfully, right, extravagantly, it's a, it's a gift. Now, I grew up in a family, my dad has the gift of giving. Right Now, we didn't always have a lot of money. I remember one time when I was a kid, my dad and mom wanted to go on a date, and I was a paperboy, and they're like, paperboy used to deliver, it was like delivering a cell phone to everybody's door in the morning so they could read the news. So I delivered that, and I made money, and he's like, can I borrow some money so I could take mom on a date? But I, I remember a time in high school where my brother's girlfriend's family, their washer and dryer died, and they didn't have money to get a new washer and dryer. So my dad goes to Sears, which used to be a store where you could buy stuff. And, um, and he, uh, it was like before Amazon, Sears. They had a catalog. Okay. And it was the Amazon of old. And so he goes to Sears and he orders a washer and dryer. And he's like really strict. I do not want them to know. This is a secret. They're like, fine. Mr. Seletsky, we got this. So the guys go to deliver it. They knock on the door with a washer and dryer and a delivery truck and a clipboard. Got a delivery for Mr. Seletsky? Yeah, I know. He was so mad. But the cat's out of the bag, and now I know it, and I can tell this story, right? Yeah, because he, he would see the need and figure out, and he would meet it anonymously. Like, hey, there's a need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. You know, it, my dad was a regular giver, like, like systematic, regular percentage giver to the church, but he also gave at times extravagantly. And you know what's so cool? When you do that, you're valuing that person. You know, sometimes we get so caught up on stuff and, you know, having everything in order, but there's something pretty cool about going I value, like you're somebody, and I value you, and willing to do something extravagant for you. And when I was thinking about this really crazy, expensive gift that she's just wasting on Jesus, the Father's indiscriminate, painful, worshipful, extravagant gift is Jesus for us, broken and poured out over us. Well, the passage goes on and it says, but Jesus looks at them and goes, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you'll always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me with you. Which is a beautiful thought, isn't it? Do you ever wake up in the morning or go to work and go, I may not see this friend again. Or I may not have, like, it's a sobering thought, but I think it also helps us treat people as God would want them treated, right? You might not always 
be with me. I remember after my mom died, my dad goes, you don't know how much time. Like he was sensitive to how I treated Gretchen. I think he was saying, be a little more sensitive too. Okay. Uh, And then uh, she has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Is that not beautiful? Now we don't even have her name. But, but this oil pouring forth, just like the Father's gift of Jesus, is told over and over and over in memory of her. There, there's a word, uh, perpetuity. Perpetuity. Do you use that very much? Rachel knows it. Rachel knows that word. Because you know what? It's, it's used in legal contracts. Right? It, it means to go on and on and on and on. You know the Brady Bunch? I believe, and I, I think I'm true, somewhere around the world... Since the Brady Bunch went off the air, their episodes have been running, right? And in the contract that they signed when they acted as actors for the Brady Bunch, it said, you will get uh, royalties for nine, nine times of reruns, because what's going to ever go over nine times, right? Now, the new clauses, after somewhere like 74 or 76 or something, all have for perpetuity, like goes on forever and ever. So Matt, Chan- Matt um, Perry, Matthew Perry, who just died, they're like, oh, what are we going to do with this $20 million a year he gets from Friends reruns? Brady Bunch? Poverty. You know, Matthew Perry? Uh, $20 million because of perpetuity. And I think inside of us, we all want perpetuity. We all want to be that lady, right? We all want to be somehow... I, I, I make a difference. And yet, I do believe we do make a difference. But 100, 200 years from now, nobody knows you. Josh, nobody's going to know you. They'll be like, I, I know I'm here because of somebody like that, right? I'm 1% Jewish. Who's that, right? Stand 100 people up, one of them is Jewish, right, in my past. You're like, well, that's important, but I don't know who that is. And so, but we all long for perpetuity. I think the only way we get it is like that woman, connected with Jesus. Connected with him. When, when you and I are connected with him, there's, there's eternal life. We live forever. We have that perpetuity that we long for. So uh, Ken's wife called me this week and let me know that her husband wasn't doing well and he had... Um, he actually had a heart attack and had coded in the hospital. And um, he, they put him on a ventilator. And I said, can I visit him? And she said, yes. And so I go in and visit him on Tuesday morning. And I thoroughly expected, when you're on a ventilator, they, because you want to fight the, the, the breathing, right? It's breathing for you and you don't like it. They, they, they knock you out, so to speak. Um, and they kind of like a chemically induced coma. So I expected to come in and pray for somebody that really was not there. Uh, but I walk in and he's awake and the nurses are there. And they go, perfect timing, Pastor. We took those out four minutes ago. I'm like, what? You know, and Ken is just figuring out his life, right? Because he's like, how long have I been out? You know, what happened to me? And we're talking, and we prayed together, and it was pretty cool. And I go, hey, I was thinking, wow, I bet Julie would like to know that you're talking and everything. I'm like, Can I, do you mind if I call her? So I call his wife, and, and I hand the phone to Ken, you know, and, and he says, hi, honey. I was in heaven. And I'm like, I'm not dead. 
why am I here? <laughs> and, you know, it's like we're listening to this intimate conversation between a husband and a wife. The nurse who's sitting there typing into the computer, her eyes are like this. What did that guy just say? He's in heaven. He, and he's like, just like before, because he had died once before. You know, he coded, uh, and, and here he was. And I believe Ken will live in perpetuity, right? And you and I, just like Ken, because we're connected to Jesus, we will be remembered forever. One time I was jogging, and I, you ever, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the Bible, you know? And I'm like, Lord, I just want to have this great time with you and the Word. And I put the Bible on on my phone, and I'm listening. And I got to one of those sections where it's like, and he begot that, and they begot that, and they begot that. And I'm like, Lord, I want to have this great time. I'm listening to these stupid begats. And this voice from somewhere outside of me goes, yeah, and you're one of those names. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. I think I got what I was looking for, right? Perpetuity. And then Judas Iscariot, one who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So this rebuke of the disciples, because I believe it was Judas who started the, hey, we should sell this and give it to the poor. You know what he's really saying? I got my hand in the till. This is a lot of money that we could have sold it for, and I could have taken a good handful of that, and I'm mad. Jesus rebukes him, and it turns him away. It's like the finger on the trigger when Jesus rebukes him. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to take care of this Jesus, right? You know, sometimes we look at stories like this and we think, if I give a big gift, will, will Jesus remember me, right? Is it the gift that she gave? You know, is it 35000 or is it 40000 that'll get me perpetuity and remembered, right? Like what? We, somehow we fall into this kind of thing and... And I think the, the truth of the matter is it's not, it's not something we can buy. The giving is just an act of worship. There was this king, uh, I think Charles Spurgeon told this story, who had a gardener who, in his kingdom, and the gardener grew this really beautiful carrot. And he's like, I'm going to give this carrot to the king. And he goes to the king, and he gives him this beautiful carrot. And the king says, thank you so much. I have this plot of land. I'd like to give it to you because you do so well with growing. It's like, wow, thank you. Well, the next day, a guy who had seen what happened was in the court. He's like, I'm going to give the king a stallion. So he brings the horse in before the king. He's like, king, I would like to give you this stallion. And the king's like, thank you very much. You're dismissed. <laughs> and another question, you know, what? What? I, I don't understand. He's like, the king goes, well, the gardener gave the carrot to me, but you gave the horse to yourself. Or it's like, I can give you this gift because I know I'm going to get so much back. And, and the giving and receiving with God is always this gratitude, this response, not an expectation of getting something back for yourself. 
You know, I'm going to go into a, a, a next section, and in the next section, I want you to ask the question, did the disciples show a substitutionary, sacrificial kind of love, or didn't they? For Jesus. But I want to tell you a little bit more about this kind of love because sin makes us operate on a principle your life for me. I'm going to make you sacrifice for me. My interest for my self image, you must sacrifice your needs to serve mine. But Jesus Christ came into the world saying, My life for yours, my life to serve you, my life poured out for you, I sacrifice for you. He says, those are the two ways you can live your life. Every day, every single day, you can either decide to operate on one of those two principles, either your life for mine or my life for yours. Now, as we move into this story, think about how the disciples are treating Jesus. It says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. He's like, support me with your prayers. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed, if it were possible that this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, that's like Daddy God, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You know, and and other, other gospels tell us he's like sweating blood, like Jesus is in anguish here. And you'd think, man, his friends are just coming alongside him and supporting him. And he came and found them sleeping. And he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch? Couldn't you pray for one hour? Watch and pray that you might not either uh, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, to speak up for the disciples' behalf, they had had the Passover meal, four cups of wine, probably a bunch of food. You know, they're tired, they're full. But who are they serving? And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. So how did the disciples do in substitutionary sacrificial love, right? It, no, I, I'm tired. Jesus, I know you're suffering. I, oh, you're, you're, you're bleeding when you, you know, but I'm tired, Lord. Right, and it's about me. And I think the truth of the matter is we'd all fail with that. As I read this, though, I thought about prayer life. How is your prayer life? Like, do you even have one? Like, do you, do you I mean, because I think Jesus, he, he would want us to be people who develop times of prayer, like, like habits of prayer. Sometimes habits make us, don't they? The things that we do over and over and over they, they somehow make us, and, and they define us many times as, as people. Last week, I think on Saturday, no, on Sunday, I can't remember, maybe it was Saturday, um, I meet somebody new, and she says to me, I opened the door, and I felt like the presence of God. And I was like, wow. And I remembered that this has always been my prayer for community of hope. 
I remember when I first came here, and we were on the dole. You know, we were supported by the district, um, and, and we're a small church. And I, and I remember praying this prayer, Lord, uh, the Lord says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And here's what I prayed, what Moses prayed. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? So I've always been like, Lord, when we gather and sing from our hearts, when we hear your word, somehow in a tangible, real way, make your presence known to us. And, and I was thinking about that this week while I was praying, and I thought, well, shouldn't, if that's true of this, shouldn't it be true of me too? I mean, like when I go places, do I carry the presence of God? The Apostle Paul said we did. He goes to some, he goes, you smell the smell of life. And to others, the smell of death. Like, like when, when you go out into the world, or when I go out into the world, do we carry the presence? And I think part of, of carrying the presence of God is, is time, of course, in his word, but also chewing and, and meditating and, and having our minds turn with thanksgiving and gratefulness and gratitude and, and intercession to the living God. We walk out into the world. like It's like people don't have to come in to taste of God, they could shake your hand. And I think some of that comes because of our prayer life that hopefully we're all seeking to develop. I was teaching confirmation this week and went over um, the difference between like religious motivation and gospel-centered motivation. And one of the ways we looked at it was prayer. Because religious-motivated prayer largely consists of petitions, like asking God to do things. And, it, and your, your times of asking God to do things only heats up in times of need. The main purpose of prayer is to control your environment. Come on, we've all been there, right? Gospel-centered prayer, my, my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. My main purpose is communion, fellowship. Like, like, oh, Lord, you mean I get to hang out with you and talk to you and develop a heart of gratitude? Oh, Lord, I have everything I need for life and faith and godliness. Thank you for these moments, right? And if you can do it, I believe it's a gift. And thank God for the gift of, of a prayer life. I, I, I believe God would, would want us to continue to work to develop a prayer life. Well, I skipped over this and, uh, because the garden scene happens after the Passover, but I wanted to end with the Passover because it leads us into communion. Now, I don't know if some of you understand this whole Passover thing, but Israel was delivered from bondage of slavery because God had a, maybe you've watched the movie, right? God had a, a bunch of stuff to discipline Pharaoh, and finally, the last thing that got Israel set free was Passover. It was when the angel of death came and passed over the Jewish houses, but did not pass over the Egyptian houses. And why the angel of death passed over the Jewish houses was that they had taken a lamb, an unblemished lamb, a young lamb, and they had, they had sacrificed it, and they had painted the doorpost with the blood. 
And then they, they consumed the lamb. They ate the, the lamb. And they painted the doorpost. And the angel of death came and said, oh, I will not kill the firstborn of that family and flock and everything because there's blood on the door. So this remembrance, that then basically because of that event, the Pharaoh goes, okay, get out, get out, right? And they finally were set free. And, because, and the, the Jewish people remember this event of Passover to this day. And this is the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And what's kind of interesting is if you're Jewish and you have a, a Seder, a, a Passover remembrance meal, you do it as a family. You don't go to a church. You do it with mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and what, you know, whoever you gather as a family. But when Jesus did it, he pulled people out of their families. Isn't that interesting? He, he, Jesus didn't go, hey, go, Peter, go back with mom and dad. No, you are my family. You see, when you become a Christian, you are born into the family of God. So in reality, your ethnicity and your family even gets a little demoted because now you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus looks out at the people. He goes, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he's like, look, that's my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's, this is the people. And Paul, when talking to people how to relate to one another, he's like, don't, don't correct, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as if you would a father. He's looking around the church, and he goes, okay, young people who think you know better, be nice to those old guys like you would a dad, right? Younger men, treat them like a brother. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity because the church is this family. So Jesus does a Passover with this new family. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, what's interesting, you don't, if you don't know the Passover, this is the time where the, the leader of the Passover, the father many times, would take this matzah and hold it up, and he'd go, Baruch Hashem Madonai Eloheinu, like, blessed are you, O Lord, like, ruler of the universe, king of the universe, you have given us bread and grain, you know, to, to eat. And he'd bless the bread, and he'd say, this is the bread of affliction. Right? Our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. And Jesus holds the bread up, the bread of affliction, and goes, this is my body. Like, I am the afflicted one. I'll be afflicted for you. Right? There is going to be a Passover again. The angel of death will pass over you because you are one with me, body and blood. Do you see that? And then he goes on and he took the cup and when he had given thanks, again, Baruch Hashem Adonai Eloheinu, he's like, blessed are you, Lord God, ruler of the universe, because you have given us drink from, I mean, grapes from the vine, the fruit of the vine. And he said, this is, is my blood, 
the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it anew with you in my kingdom. Covenants were sealed in blood, right? Covenants were sealed in blood. If you remember the covenant to Abraham, right? God like made a covenant, kill these animals, separate it. There's so much blood running into the dish. And, and God basically said, if, if, if you break the covenant, I die. If I break the covenant, I die. And here's Jesus. This is the covenant I make. You broke it. I'm going to pay for you. And, and then at the end of a, of a Seder, in America, you lift the cup and you say, next year in Jerusalem. But in that day, those in Jerusalem would lift the cup and say, next year in the kingdom. Jesus lifts the cup and he says, I will not drink again until next year, right? Until the day I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. So we remember Veterans Day. My dad called, or I called my dad yesterday. I'm talking to him. He's like, yeah, I went to Dairy Queen to get a hot dog, and they gave me, like, some kind of thing he named. I don't know, Blurpee. I don't know what it is, but something with ice cream in it because I'm a veteran. And I went here, and they gave me, like, like why do we give veterans things? Because we're like, thank you, right? Thank you for what you did for us. And in communion, our hearts cry out, God, thank you for what you have done for us. Years ago, I watched the movie Taken. And by the way, every movie this guy makes from now on is Taken with a twist. I don't know if you noticed that. But um, the first one did really well. Um, I think they've got Taken 15 now. But, um, but you know, I remember, do you remember this line in it? Um, I have a very particular set of skills, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you, right? You know? and, 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 but I remember watching Taken, and at the end, I know I was really tired. I like wept, because I thought he, he's like a little picture of Christ. Christ goes and gets the girl, right? Rescues his bride. But this guy rescued his bride by force. Christ won by losing. Christ won by sacrificing. The demonic world, the spiritual kingdom, nobody knew that he was going to lose everything. But by losing everything, he took our place. He paid the price for your sins and my sins. By losing everything, he won and the father vindicated him and he rose from the grave. And God has rescued us. And every time we take communion, we say, Lord, thank you for the gift you've won through using. Thank you, Father, for the indiscriminate, painful, worshipful, extravagant gift of your son. Thank you, Jesus, that you laid down your life for us. Lord, thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.